A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Many of you listening to this podcast will have, at times, felt overwhelmed by everything you have to do and yet still feel worried that you're not doing enough. One of the biggest issues facing women today is burnout, running yourselves into the ground from the stresses of work, home and life in general on a daily basis. The co-authors of a groundbreaking new book explaining why women experience burnout completely differently to men describe this as the constant pressure on women to bridge the gap between what it's really like to be a woman and what society expects you to be. The book is called Burnout, The Secret to Solving the Stress Cycle and it's written by identical twin sisters Dr. Emily Nagoski, a New York Times bestselling author, and Dr. Amelia Nagoski, a conductor with a doctorate in musical arts. They spoke to our co-producer Jennifer Ryan about why they wrote this book, what the stress cycle is, and why kissing someone you love for six seconds can be part of the solution. Emily, Amelia, hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. The first thing I wanted to ask you before we get into your own stories and, and really get into the book is how do you know when you're burnt out? What are the signs? <laughs> The number one symptom of burnout for women in particular is this thing called emotional exhaustion, uh, where you feel like you are stuck in a state of perpetual stress, overwhelm, anxiety, helplessness. You wake up in the morning and you feel like you can't even get out of bed, but you need to get out of bed immediately. Uh, where just brushing your teeth and taking a shower feels like too much. Uh, You feel overwhelmed and exhausted by everything you have to do and somehow still manage to worry that you're not doing enough. That's burnout in a nutshell. Okay, and so you two are identical twin sisters. You had the same upbringing. You both have very successful careers. But one thing that you didn't share was the experience of stress and burnout. Amelia, you did. Can you explain what happened to you? Yes, the... The episode of burnout that inspired the book really was when I was in doctoral school. Uh, I was, I think, in my third year of coursework. And I went to bed one night and experienced pain, physical pain in my abdomen and had my husband take me to the emergency room. And they could not figure out what was wrong with me. Um, I had felt bad several days leading up. Well, several years leading up, (laughs) increasingly bad until finally in the emergency room. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. White blood cell count was off the charts, though. And they kept me in the hospital for four days trying to get a diagnosis uh, and eventually let me go and told me it was just stress and I needed to relax. (laughs) So I spent another year trying to figure out what the hell that meant. Uh, and a year later was back in the hospital again. And it turns out stress is a, a cycle that takes place in your body that has a beginning, a middle and an end and has to do with all kinds of neurochemicals and hormones and, uh, the, the physiological response of stress had been, uh, destroying organs in my body for my whole life. And eventually my appendix had become, 
uh, uh, the primary target. So they took that out. And then I had a fresh start where I got to figure out, oh, stress is an actual thing that happens in my body, not just my imagination or my inability to cope with normal everyday life. And I got to start over with a lot of new tools that I learned along the way. And Emily, the stress cycle is where the book begins. The book is called, of course, Burnout, The Secret to Solving the Stress Cycle. And Amelia, you mentioned it there as well. Uh, Emily, can you outline what exactly the stress cycle is and explain why it's important to complete it? Because to to, to somebody, uh, you know, the uninitiated, the idea of like completing a stress cycle is counterintuitive. Yeah, so this is maybe the most central idea in the book that stress is a cycle like all biological cycles it has a beginning a middle and an end and you have to help your body get all the way to the end or bad things happen as amelia experienced the physiological changes activated by stress include but are not there's a very long list of physiological changes it increases your blood pressure and your respiration rate It slows down your digestive system. It slows down your reproductive system. It slows down your immune system. But it's supposed to be temporary, like to help us run away from a lion on the savannah of Africa, right? Um, But our stressors are not like lions. There's not like an intense moment of fear and then it's gone. We have stressors that last days or weeks or months or, you know, the 20 years it takes to raise a child to adulthood Um, And if we stay in that middle of the stress response cycle, that means we're staying in a state where our heart rate's elevated, our blood pressure's elevated, our immune system is slowed down, reproductive system is slowed down, digestive system is slowed down. And so to stay in that state is to stay in a state of physiological imbalance that will begin to break apart all your different body systems. So you have to help your body get to the end of that system Uh, And the most effective ways to do that, physical activity is the easiest way to coax your body toward the end of the cycle, which makes perfect sense from an evolutionary point of view, of course, because, you know, we're evolved to run away from lions. Uh, So you uh, if you're stressed out by traffic, you can get out of the traffic. Hooray. Which means you've dealt with the stressor, the thing that caused the stress. But that doesn't mean your body has gotten out of the stress response cycle that got activated. So, you know, you get out of the traffic and is your body suddenly like, ah, peace, balance, rest, the stressor is gone. No, it needs your help to, it doesn't understand, your body doesn't know what getting out of traffic means. It knows what moving means. It doesn't have to be running. It can be dancing around in your living room. It can be literally just like tensing every muscle in your body for a slow count of 10 and then flopping and relaxing all of your muscles. That can be enough. It can be affection. A 20-second hug is one of our favorite tips from the science, is that you get home from the terrible traffic, you walk in the door, and you put your arms around your certain special someone, and you just hold on to each other, and you'll feel the physiological shift as your heart rate goes down, your hormones shift, and your body relaxes, because what you're communicating to it is that you have successfully made it home to this place of safety to your tribe. There are there's at least seven evidence based tips, but two of the really big ones are physical activity and affection. And the most important thing to remember is that you dealing with the cause of your stress is a separate process from dealing with the stress itself in your body. And you have to do both. 
Okay, yeah, I, I really, the, the part about physical activity really uh, speaks to me. I know I, I went through a really tough time not that long ago and something I started to do was to force myself to go for a run every other day and even when I was feeling really crap and I was like, I just want to sit here and eat chocolate mm-hmm. and go to bed. I was like, no, 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 remember how you feel Afterward, after you go yeah, for that exactly. run. And it's the, those endorphins, it's like it, it's, it's real, you know, it would totally change my mood and I would sleep well that night it's I I think that's a it's a really important point to make but also I suppose the point is you don't have to be going out for a a five kilometer run it can be something quite simple oh yeah it doesn't have to be anything like a 5k it can be just 10 minutes of you know sweating to your favorite song physical activity doesn't uh on its own doesn't work for everybody Amelia had this experience Yes, for me, I was a regular exerciser, you know, three, four times a week doing cardio and lifting weights. Um, But it did not complete the stress response cycle for me. For me, it has to be something that engages my imagination or includes connection with other people. So when she learned about this stress response cycle thing, I was giving her like I was force feeding her books about the physiology of stress. Um, And she began, you know, she'd get on the elliptical machine at the gym. And instead of just like reading a book while she was exercising, she started fantasizing that she was Godzilla stomping (laughs) on the school that was making her crazy. And that was what it took. It wasn't the, the physical activity alone. It was the combination of activating her imagination to like take out her rage where it belonged. It was the combination of both that really did it. And you, you two co-wrote Burnout together and you spent three years, am I right, doing yeah. so? Mm-hmm. And uh, gathering information from hundreds of women. Uh, can you tell me how prevalent was burnout among them and what kind of stories did you hear? We literally do not know any woman who hasn't experienced burnout at some point in their life. Maybe they're not in it right now, but they all recognize that experience of being overwhelmed and exhausted, but simultaneously worrying that they weren't doing enough. Uh, and man, we lost count of the number of women who told us they were literally hospitalized because of just stress, stress stress-induced physical illness. Women who told us they felt guilty for sleeping. Women who told us that uh, whenever they tried to ask for help, they got pushback against either a partner or a family or a workplace that told them that they should be able to cope. And if they couldn't, it was their personal failing that was the problem rather than having anything to do with like systemic problems or that much too much was being demanded of their human body. Just an overwhelming, every single woman we know has had an experience like this. And some of the research has found that female employees, for example, often burn out faster than their male counterparts. And you explore this in the book and suggest that being a woman often feels like a constant low level stream of stressors that are out of your control. It's the patriarchy, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Women burn out faster than men. They experience more and different stressors than men um, because of the patriarchy. It exists in a system that we Uh, called human giver syndrome. We derive this language from the book Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny by moral philosopher Kate Mann. Uh, In Down Girl, she she posits her argument as a world with two kinds of humans, human beings who have a moral obligation to live and be their full humanity, and human givers who are expected to give their humanity, their time, their lives, their bodies, cheerfully and happily to the human beings. And we do live in this tension, this system of unspoken, understood, implicit 
expectation that women are going to give everything they have. If a woman has ever been in a meeting, uh, a room full of men, and who is the one who they ask to go get the coffee? Who is the one they ask to take the notes, to just give a little bit extra? It also shows up not just at work, but also at home. Um, the, the second shift of uh, ch- uh, homemaking and child rearing, and the third shift that during sleep, women are the partner in a heterosexual relationship who would be expected to give up their sleep to care for children or even to care for the male partner if he's sick. Yeah, and this is as well, I, I, you mentioned it in the book too, that the part of this gap, this societal gap between what it's really like to be a woman and, and what you're expected to be so you talk about that that woman in the meeting being asked to, you know, um, make the coffee or take the notes or whatever. But also, I think a big and we can't ignore the elephant in the room is that women have babies. Right. So it means taking time out of work. And as you say, usually a lot of the emotional labor of a household falls still on the mother. And you can't talk about that in work. You, you when you're when you're trying to meet your male colleagues eye to eye, you, you sh- you're not supposed to let on that you have particular difficulties to do with childcare or whatever, you're supposed to act the same and do the same job. Right. right? It's part of your role as a human giver, not to impose any kind of need onto anyone. You're not allowed to expect or demand or even request, however politely, any sort of accommodation for the fact that you have, you know, born a child. Because, well, that was your personal choice. And if you're going to do that, then like you just got to take the consequences. Um, and so we, our job is to like put a smile on our faces and be really nice and polite and not impose our needs on anyone or expect anything different from what anyone else is asking for. Uh, when in fact, what's being expected of us is actually different from what's being expected of our male colleagues, because the babies typically come out of the female partner's body. And there are different needs that are required. Uh, but to expect those needs to be met is is exceptional, is to like have something extra and bonus given to you mm. as opposed to like a basic human right. Green and Black's Velvet Edition range introduces a variety of signature flavours in a smooth, velvety finish made with the finest ingredients and ethically sourced cocoa. Choose Green and Black's chocolate and escape the ordinary. I know I'm focusing a lot on the the workplace here, um, but there's just some data that we have here in Ireland from what uh, our think tank called the Economic and Social Research Institute. And it showed that work-related stresses among employees in Ireland doubled between 2010 and 2015 to 18% of employees. And that that stress is likely to be triggered by emotional demands, including being forced to hide their feelings. And the other thing is that only 40% of employers have policies in place to address workplace stress. But how important is it that employers acknowledge that they have a role in alleviating that kind of stress? Well, if employee employers want to run businesses where human beings work, it's <laughs> definitely essential that they recognize that human beings uh, have bodies and have responses to uh, stress that take place in their bodies. And that if they spend their whole day interrupting that cycle of stress, it's going to build up someplace. Now, it is totally possible 
and appropriate that you hide emotions for social appropriateness. We don't want everyone who gets cut off in traffic to then, you know, get out of their car and punch somebody in the face. That that would be (laughs) terrible. We need people to maintain social appropriateness. And there are times when it is a really great idea not to express your emotions right here, right now. However, there does need to be space and time and permission for uh, everyone who's a human being, especially including people who are employed at a job, um, to purge their rage. Yeah, to purge their to have the freedom to oscillate through the cycles of being human. Something else I found particularly interesting in the book was the idea of listening to our inner critic or mm-hmm. mad woman, as you call her, inner bitch, I call her. <laughs> <laughs> but you want us to ask them, why are you being so horrible to us? You know, rather than trying to ignore that niggling little voice uh, telling us we're crap at everything, we need to identify why they are doing that to us. Yeah, because like if you're yelling at someone because they're doing something wrong and they say to you, no, I'm not going to listen. Everything is fine. I'm going to ignore you. Is, is that going to make the situation better? Is that going to make you feel calmer? Mm, it's just no. going to escalate the situation. <laughs> so the same situation is true with that mean inner voice, that like mean lady in your head who tells you like how much you're failing. You have to turn toward her with kindness and compassion. Her job, the reason she exists, is to try to do the impossible job of closing the gap between who you really are as a person and who the world expects you to be. It is an unbridgeable chasm. No wonder she's so totally bananas and out of whack. She has an impossible job. You also would be bananas and out of whack if your job were impossible. So she's Mm. working her ass off trying to do this impossible job. She's screaming at you for falling short of this culturally constructed aspirational ideal Um, So what you do when you hear that voice is say, hey, lady, thank you so much for trying to keep me safe. I appreciate what you're doing. Tell me about what's going on with you. I actually had this moment. I uh, there was this conference. It was in my calendar on Sunday. The event, it turned out, was actually on Saturday. So I got a text at 10 o'clock in the morning. Hey, Emily, are you upstairs? Uh, We're ready to get started. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was still in my pajamas and my car was under a foot of snow. Uh. No. So like, so I try to deal with the situation and then comes my mad woman screaming at me, what a failure I am, what a terrible person and no one's ever going to work with me again. And so I follow the advice in the book. I turn toward her with kindness and compassion and say, hey, what's really going on with you? And instead of just screaming at me, she gets through her anger and talks about how afraid she is that when people discover I'm flawed and imperfect and I make a mistake, she's worried that she's going to be alone forever, that I'm never going to have any loved ones ever again. And then she told me how tired she was, how exhausting it is to be so full of fear all the time. And I could say, thank you for the hard work that you've been doing. Go rest. Like I am grateful for the way it's not super productive because you're like not contributing, but like I, I get where you're coming from and I'm really grateful that you are there for me no matter what. And it changed everything. Like my self-criticism, the volume got turned way, way down because I was able to be kind and compassionate to that critical voice instead of believing it 
or trying to ignore it. You mentioned rest there and I want to read a short little piece from the book on the science of sleep uh, just in relation to this. So it's quoted says these days the message is that if a person has time to sleep they're doing something wrong. They're not working hard enough. We've made a virtue of being exhausted of denying ourselves rest. The idea is so embedded in the culture that Emily has lost count of the number of women who tell her they feel guilty about sleeping. Guilty Mm -hmm. about sleeping. This is definitely a thing I've encountered. Exhaustion is worn like this badge of honour. And in the book, you say science dictates we should have 10 hours rest a day. (laughs) How Mm -hmm. can we achieve this? Please tell me. (laughs) Uh, The way to achieve it is to surround yourself with a bubble of love of people who will support uh, and give you as much care as you would give to them. So you would never allow, for example, your child to stay up until midnight working on something that was clearly not necessary to be worked on at that time. Um, and would but would you yourself stay up until midnight if you had emails that you had not answered yet and you thought, I have to do this, otherwise I don't deserve to go to bed? So if we surround ourselves with other givers who are giving us as much care and insisting that we deserve the care that we believe that they deserve too, that's going to help protect us from the larger external cultural forces that sort of ascribe exhaustion, a level of nobility that it does not. Uh, The other is to make sure that as a human giver, you are giving to others, but you don't develop full-scale human giver syndrome where you believe that accepting any care for yourself deserves a punishment. Sleep deprivation is a form of punishment. Uh, and uh, literally a form of torture. Yeah, uh, yeah. So if you're not allowing yourself to sleep, you are punishing yourself because uh, rather than allowing yourself to um, accept care for yourself because you don't deserve it because you're just a human giver. So for me, when I feel like I have to work harder, that's what I have to do. I remember that rest is actually an action that smashes the patriarchy the patriarchy and misogyny in general really wants women to be exhausted because when we are exhausted, we cannot smash, we cannot fight, we cannot speak for ourselves, we cannot create change to make our lives and our children's lives better. But when I get eight hours of sleep, I am fully fueled and ready to spend the day smashing the crap out of all of the patriarchy. Uh, that is a rallying cry that I can get behind. I'm telling you, so. eight yeah. hours sleep. That's my, I'm going to be marching the streets with placards saying all Maybe. we need is eight hours sleep. My you favorite rest. Right. can't sell resist without rest. Yes. <laughs> yes, I like that. OK, well, the methods that you discuss in your book, they have had transformative effects on both of you, it seems, yeah. in different ways. But to anyone out there who's listening to this, who is saying, yes, yes, a hundred times, yes, this is me, but I do not know where to start. What what do you say to them? What is the one thing that they can do straight away? If you feel overwhelmed and exhausted and like you are not enough, ask for help. You're not supposed to be enough all by yourself. We are not built to do big things alone. We're built to do them together. Ask for help. When you're feeling like you're not enough, that's actually a form of loneliness. And the way to leverage yourself out of that pit of exhaustion and overwhelm is to get a hand up from someone you love and trust who understands that it's not you that's the problem. It's the bullshit expectations against which you've been trying to measure yourself. The solution to burnout is not self-care. It's all of us caring for each other. Emily and Amelia Nagoski, the book is called Burnout, The Secret to Solving the Stress Cycle. Thank you very much for speaking to the Women's Podcast. Thank Thank you. you. 
And that's it for today. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you do want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast, or you can email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. Also, we do enjoy a bit of praise from time to time. So if you like what we do, then please head along to iTunes and give us a review. And of course, tell all your friends about it. The podcast is produced by myself, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 